As you find your seats, as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, right in the middle, you open it up, it's around Proverbs or the Psalms, after the Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. As we continue our sermon series, The Vanity of Life Under the Sun Without the Sun, Our boy Caleb is in his freshman year at Rollins College. And one thing about Rollins, it's a liberal arts education. I don't know if you're familiar with liberal arts, but they do live up to both word liberal and arts. Uh, And because it's a liberal arts school, you often have to take classes that you never would have picked. For example, this semester, my son Caleb is in a film score class where he goes and he has to uh, assign, uh, I'm getting thumbs up in the back, so apparently that's a good one, uh, where he has to uh, uh, assign certain songs to different scenes or different movies, and, and he's graded for that. And I'm paying a lot of money for that. <laughs> and it actually is one of the classes he enjoys more, but it got me thinking, if the book of Ecclesiastes had a theme song, what would it be? Because we're in this book, we're studying it, so what would Ecclesiastes, what would underscore the entire book? Here's what it would be. Come on, join me. What I'm looking for, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Man, do I want to be Bono. All right. Interesting, interesting song. If you listen to the lyrics, uh, Bono has a real uh, honest look, what sometimes only he can, it seems like, in the rock and roll world, at life and what he's been able to experience and what he's been able to see and what he's been able to taste and what he's been able to learn. And even a lot of the language has some Christian language in it, and yet he still has this theme song that will say, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The book of Ecclesiastes is going to tell us that that all of life is, you ready for this, vanity. That all of life is meaningless, but, but it tells us all is life meaningless or vanity or a vapor under the sun. It's very important that we understand that. I mean, Ecclesiastes is this incredibly honest look at life horizontally here on earth without a vertical relationship with God. It's looking at life. What is life like? What can life gain apart from God? What is life like under the sun? Well, last week as we jumped right in, we realized we jumped into the deep end. Uh, Ecclesiastes doesn't pull too many punches. It doesn't soften the blow. It doesn't give you a a long on-ramp. It just throws you in and says, let me tell you what life is like under the sun. He says that there's nothing gained from our toil. Interesting word here, gain. The Hebrew word is really a business word, and it it can be probably best translated take-home pay. That there's no take-home pay for all your toil under the sun. That nine-to-five thing, that week after week, all the things that you're laboring for, all the things that you and I are striving for, all the things that we're just absolutely knocking our heads against the wall for. According to the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says, let me tell you, your take-home pay, zero. Nada. But there's more. He also says there's really, there's nothing new under the sun. That we're living basically Groundhog's Day, right? We talked about that last week. 
I mean, if you saw that movie, like every day seems to be eerily the same. Life just has a way of being boring or, or just blah. It just repeats itself. Don't you feel that sometimes? Have you ever woken up and maybe your radio's not playing uh, Sonny and Cher, I got you, babe. But when your radio goes off, you ever wondered, gee, I've been here. I've done this. Let me get ready for that same old thing again. There's really nothing new under the sun. We do it over and over again. So there's nothing gained, there's nothing new. And then he tells us that there's nothing remembered. There's nothing remembered that you're not remembered. Your stuff's not remembered. He's basically saying nothing lasts. What a great way to start a book. (laughs) Nothing gained, nothing new, nothing lasts. Well, the writer of the book, this what's translated the preacher or the teacher, that really wants us to lead to the fact that this is Solomon, or at least someone with Solomon's thinking. He writes an autobiography. And what we're going to see is an autobiography is his examination of life. He's going to tell us what he discovered. He's going to tell us the avenues he went down. He's going to tell us the things that he pursued. And he pursued after everything life has to offer. After going down every avenue, after checking out everything underneath the sun, he came up empty. He came up Zippo. He came up wanting. So the theme song that he would have is, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I don't know. For some reason, I picture the one who wrote this as the Dos Equis man. <laughs> now, you know the Dos Equis man? If you don't know him, um, by the way, uh, I, I think some of the best beer on the earth. But the Dos Equis man, he is, he's the most, what is he called? The most interesting man in the world, right? And he, he's got some really quirky things that happens to him. And you're like, man, he really is. If there's this real guy, he really is the most interesting man in the world. Well, if this was the writer of Ecclesiastes, at the end of the commercial, he'd step away from the script and say, but I got to tell you, it's all empty. I got to tell you, it looks really good on the film here, but it's all just vanity. It's all just a vapor. But we get this, this writer, and what, what he's going to do, the way he writes is brilliant. It's quite different from most books in the Bible. As remember, last week I told you, this is more the exceptions to the rules. This is kind of the back door to faith. But so he ends, he ends with a conclusion where the book of Proverbs begins with this conclusion. Interestingly, as I read the book of Job this week, it's in the middle of that, that wisdom book. This one ends with it. And here is the conclusion of all of his searching. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man and women. He's basically going to let us off the hook here. And let me say it's very important. Life is all about God and our relationship with him. This, this fear of God is misunderstood, but he's basically saying, have a belief and a trust in who God is. Have a belief in God's promises. Believe in, in the God who made you and his son who's rescued us. H- have a, a fear of God and, and keep his commandments, what he's asked us to do. That's, that's the whole duty of man. And the way the writer writes is this way. He wants you to examine everything else in life and come to this conclusion that I got no hope apart from Jesus. And that's not a bad conclusion. It's interesting, in a world that the book of Ecclesiastes will say, in a world that everything is meaningless without God, everything is a searching for meaning, but you'll never find it. It's really what the Bible says is a chasing after the wind, or which probably could be better translated, it's, it's hurting cats. 
If, you, if you're trying to, to find meaning apart from God, you're just chasing after that which you never can gather. But interestingly, once we find God, he, he says it throughout the book, there's blessings of God and, and life with God, but everything has meaning with God. There's this huge juxtaposition. Without him, vanity, emptiness, void, nothing. With him, everything matters. With him, everything about your life matters to God in this world. And in God, he will bring meaning and beauty to this world. Really, the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm, not, I'm a, I'm a uh, uh, spoiler of plots. I can't wait to get to the point. Uh, I just want to tell you, let me just tell you now. Can we get this over with? Because we're going to look at some dark stuff. Walk by faith. Walk by faith and pray that God will finish what he starts. That's, that's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that God will fix this broken world. Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, the, the avenue the preacher takes or the teacher takes into worldly wisdom. And before we can focus on the worldly wisdom, we kind of probably have to pull back. We're going to bore down and see what does he think about the wisdom of the world. But let's look back because we're starting in a story that's already being told. It's like showing up at an event that something really wrong happened. And you walk in the door and everybody's somber and everybody's like, like thinking, oh my gosh, this is really bad stuff. And what's the first thing you want to say? Well, what happened? Well, what's going on here? Please, please tell me a little bit. Why are you all so blue? Why are you all so somber? What, what's going on? Because the book of Ecclesiastes, you read it and you want to drink punch. You want to say, are you kidding? So let's look back. Let's step back for a minute. Let's under this, understand the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes makes sense if we see the big picture of the Bible. You see, the Bible tells us a story of an incredible, loving God who is. And this God created everything out of nothing. How powerful is that God? And how he created it was by speaking. Are you kidding me? He speaks, and the universe and the galaxies leap into existence. And all the things that God created, he looked at them. He he evaluated. He says, you know what? They're good. It was good. What was created here was good initially. But he made something very good. He made you and me in his image. He made us to know and to love him and to worship him and and to find life in him. And that's very good. But something went awry, terribly awry in the story. According to the Bible, we thought that our wisdom was better than God's wisdom. That worldly wisdom will lead us to what we really need and what we really long for. And so we rebelled. Adam and Eve in a perfect place with a perfect God with a perfect setting, with everything being declared declared good, rebelled. It's called the fall, according to Scripture. It's called what what happened is is that that our relationship with God has forever changed, and our relationship with the world has forever changed. Our relationship with one another has forever changed. We're afraid of each other. We hide. We hide our truth. We hide who we really are. We hide from God. And that's what sin has done. It's it's really, it's, it's completely brought, what Scripture says, a curse. So when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you're trying to figure out what went so wrong. you got to go back to the beginning and say, well, this is, this is what happens in a cursed world. This is what happens in a world that has gone so badly wrong as God intended it originally to be. He says, now in the world we're going to have thorns and thistles and tangle everything. That now the work that we're supposed to do that was originally good is now going to be produced by the sweat of our brow. Now, everything we do under the sun without God, now, because of this curse, it's empty. It's dark. It's void. 
It's meaningless. So this is the background of the story that we pick up the story to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week as, uh, in verses 12 through 18. And again, last week we saw that everything was vanity. Now we're going to see him kind of go down certain roads to show us that these roads are closed to meaning and how it is true what his premise was that all is vanity. Written a long time ago. Not exactly sure who wrote it. I'm going to give you some detail as we read. But let's be reminded that this is God's word. It's inspired by God, and therefore it's for you. It's not just a story to entertain you. It's, it's a story to transform you. These are God's very words. Hear the word of the Lord, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, that's what he calls himself. Maybe your translation says the teacher. Have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Let's hit pause for a minute. I've been the preacher. Uh, I'm the preacher. Have been a king over Israel in Jerusalem. Well, this is going to give us a hint who the writer wants us to believe is telling us the story. If you know your church history, if you know your Bible history, you'll know that there were only two kings over Israel in Jerusalem. One was David and one was Solomon. This one calls himself, we look up in verse 1, he calls himself the son of David. So we are led to believe that clearly these are the thoughts, these are the words of Solomon. He says in verse 13, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Again, he uses a couple phrases here. It's usually said under the sun. Here he says under heaven. He's basically saying this, I've set my heart on a seek and search out rescue of wisdom under heaven. And then he says, it's an unhappy business that God has given the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity or meaningless and a striving after the wind or herding cats. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be accounted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And we see that Scripture does say this about Solomon. No one had his wisdom. No one had his knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, right and wrong. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind, a herding cats. And for in, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let us pray. Wow. And God, you've given us another text this morning that uh, truly doesn't leave us feeling very good after just hearing it. God, it seems so empty. It seems so meaningless. It seems so hopeless. But God, I thank you for your amazing grace and love that allow us passages like these because many of us feel exactly what was written here. Many of us are experiencing that, that feeling of hopelessness and vanity and emptiness. And God, I thank you that you're a big enough God and a loving enough God to to not only let us ask tough questions, but you ask them. And you lead us to them. And God, I thank you that you lead us on a search with, with this 
song playing, searching for what we're longing for. I thank you for your grace that goes with us. God, because this is your word and you love us, would you give us ears to hear your voice? God, would you give us minds to understand your word? It's confusing. And on the surface, it's without hope. But God, would you give us hearts to embrace your, your truth and your love? And, and God, would we, we understand the wisdom of God? Would you shine that wisdom of God in Jesus into each one of our hearts? And God, would you be with us so tangibly through your word that is preached, through the meal that we partake in together, that we would be able to walk out of here, not with the wisdom of the world, but with the wisdom of God for your glory. And God, we ask that the things that are said that are wrong, they're merely my opinion, those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me with an outline in your bulletin, please do. We're going to look at three things this morning. The first thing is this, is that worldly wisdom cannot fix what is broken. Our world is broken. I know that you know that. But worldly wisdom cannot fix what is broken. Secondly, worldly wisdom cannot account for what is lost. And worldly wisdom leads only to worldly sorrow. The first thing is this. Worldly wisdom cannot fix what is broken. The smartest men and women, the most talented of us all, the best and the brightest, the the best thinkers in whatever realm, whether it's a political realm, in the realm of science, in the realm of business, in the realm of economics, in whatever realm, the best thinkers of the world, the smartest among us cannot fix what is wrong with our world and with our lives. It's futile. I mean, just think of our world right now. Think of the mess that we find ourselves in worldwide. Forget, okay, forget the world. Think of the mess of your life. What's going to fix it? Think of the mess of your loneliness and your brokenness and your addictions. I mean, think of the mess of your, your family connections. Think of the mess of, of, of life around you that you can't get over. How would I get here? And how are you going to get out of here? According to this, worldly wisdom cannot fix what is broken. What is crooked cannot be made right by man. Again, we start off by looking at everything's broken. Everything's crooked because of the fall. As a matter of fact, Solomon would say that it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What is he saying? He's saying basically this. You want to look to wisdom to solve life's answers, your answers? You want to look to the wisdom of man? It's an unhappy business. Why? Because you can't get there. You can't do it. It's futile. It's vanity. It's empty. How do you like doing something that you just can't do over and over and over again? How do you respond when you just can't get something to fit? How do you respond when you just can't get something in the right place? Are you like me? Get a little angry? You throw a thing or two, say a word or two you shouldn't have said, break something? I mean, he's basically saying, listen, here's the vanity of human wisdom. We're not going to elect somebody smart enough to get us out of this. We're not going to find somebody smart enough to to really lead us home. There's not someone out there that's going to come up with a theory that's going to say, ah, now we get it. It's an unhappy business. Worldly wisdom is an unhappy business because it is futile, because it is vanity, 
And it is a striving after the wind or herding cats. I did a little sermon research uh, this week. It was one of my favorite things to do. I, I watched Stephen, uh, the movie Theory of Everything on Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, what a brilliant mind. What incredible accomplishments this man has had, even through brokenness physically of what he's been able to do. I mean, that man has forgotten more than I'll ever learn. And I can't even stand anywhere near him when it comes to intellect, when it comes to just uh, gray matter and how he has been able to, to learn as much as he has. But here's what he says about life. We are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star, but we can understand the universe, and this makes us very special. What? Really? I have all kinds of issues with that. But I'm special because I understand the universe? Does anybody understand the universe here? I mean, is there one of you who could understand this? I mean, it's, it's, it's a mystery of God. It's incredible. I'm special because I can understand the universe? I know I'm not special because I'm a particular breed of monkey on a wrong planet, an average star. Really? That's the best we got? That's going to fix our problems? It's going to solve the theory of everything? Richard Dawkins, infamous atheist evolutionist, says this about human existence. It's neither good nor evil, neither kind nor nor cruel, but simply callous, indifferent to all suffering, lacking all purpose. Doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. We can't fix it. We can't fix what is broken. You know what we long for? I mean, we, we all long for beauty. We all long for a beauty that seems to have been lost. And we just can't find what we're looking for. Sometimes we see it. I mean, sometimes we see the beauty in the, in the, in the embrace of a loved one. Sometimes we see it in a, in a sunrise. Sometimes we see it in the laughter of our kids. Sometimes we see the beauty that we long for. It's, oh, there it is. I can taste it. I can see it. There it is. But it seems so fleeting. And it's gone. And we're left with a broken world that's so daggum crooked that we just can't fix. We're longing for something more. Worldly wisdom cannot fix what has been broken. And secondly, worldly wisdom cannot account for what is lost. Again, it's another kind of business term that he's using. It's kind of an accounting term. He's basically saying this, that the life cannot be added up to make sense. You cannot balance the books of life. You, you can't do it. It, just, it refuses to balance. Good people die. Bad people seem to be blessed. I mean, our kids, I mean, they're, they're threatened with evil. I mean, people are hit by cars. I mean, tsunamis come and hurricanes and tornadoes. And, and you try to make sense of the world. And it just, it doesn't add up, does it? I mean, it just, the ledger sheet just doesn't make sense. And we're like longing for more. We just can't account for what's been lost. Have you ever worked on a 10 key or a calculator and you're trying to solve an equation and it keeps on coming up an error message? That you just know you're doing something wrong, and the more you work, and the harder you do it, and the more numbers you put in it, it just comes up error. Error. I can't get it. That's what's saying here. That's what he's saying. He says, you know, listen, we can't account for what has been lost. We can't account. We can't, we can't add it up. We can't, can't make sense. 
All we get is error messages. You know, not only do we long for a beauty that we can't seem to find, we, we all long to be filled of an emptiness that haunts us, a void inside of us that just won't go away, a, a chasm in this whole world. Worldly wisdom cannot account for what is lost. Thirdly, worldly wisdom leads to worldly sorrow. The more worldly wisdom we have, the more sorrow we receive. Have you ever wanted to say to the world, no, 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 I'm not listening anymore. Turn off the channel. I'm not listening. I can't handle anything else. I mean, sometimes with me, I just can't open up emails. I don't want one more bad email. I don't want one more call that I don't recognize the number with more bad news. I, I don't want to hear more of how badly our world is messed up and how badly my friends are. Okay, how badly I am. It's bad. You see, when we see how broken our worlds and our lives are, and we we try our best plans to fix them, and they don't work, despair sets in. Let me talk to the young people. If you're 20-something here, life has not succeeded around the corner. Learn for us with gray hair is that you just can't fix what's broken. You can't. You could try hard, but you can't. It's beyond you. Worldly wisdom is only vanity, according to the writer. It's only a striving after the wind. Worldly wisdom is hurting cats. There's no take-home pay. And it only leads to vexation and drink the punch. We have drink the punch days at the Jake's house. I know exactly when Katie and I say, I just want to drink the punch, what we're talking about. It's basically saying, you know, we just can't make it work. And so can we just take something to alleviate the pain? Can we drink the punch and make it go away? What's clear about this, if this is Solomon, is that we need one whose wisdom's even greater than Solomon's. And Solomon's wisdom was the best of all. We're in trouble, aren't we? We need a wisdom that's greater than worldly wisdom. But my brothers and sisters, we have hope. We have hope because God has given us one whose wisdom is greater than even Solomon's. God has given us one who has wisdom that's even greater than anything in this world because this one named Jesus has the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. Solomon had wisdom from God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30 says to us, he came to fix what is broken. The crazy thing about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is when Scripture says what is broken cannot be fixed, Jesus fixes. He fixes by comes and he lives a life that we should have lived. And he dies the death that we deserve to die. I mean, Jesus becomes broken so that everything that is broken can become fixed. Jesus comes and he's, he empties out himself everything but love so that everything that is empty can be filled. That's the gospel. You see, I, I think the, the, the favorite passage I have in the book of Ecclesiastes, the one that I keep going to, and I, the one I think of much of this reading is hinged upon, is Ecclesiastes 3.11. I think that this is our answer. I think what we long for is, is right here. In, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says this, is that God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts. Yet he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's the reality is that we won't be able to fix what is broken. You can't. But we have one named Jesus who has and who can. 
And now we have, by God's grace, the gospel of power. Maybe not to fix what is broken, but to face it. To face it. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. We can trust that Jesus truly will make everything beautiful in its time. Did you hear that? You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You can't fix it. You can't fix the world around you. You can't fix your family. You can't fix you. But Jesus can. Jesus does. Jesus will. And our hope is in the wisdom of God and God's own son who lays his life down for us so that we can be fixed. And we can face now what we have to face and walk by faith, walk by faith and trust in him because Jesus truly is our hope and our wisdom. The gospel not only gives us the ability to face what is broken, it also gives us the ability to face what we cannot fill. And there is this longing in all of us. And so we're to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boy, when I pass by the Coptic church on my way here to work and my way here to worship, and I see those 21 crosses of my brothers and sisters who gave their life because they profess the name of Christ Jesus. I don't want to face it. I don't want to face a world that that's screwed up. But the reality is, is I can. Because why? Because in Christ Jesus, the wisdom of God, he will make beautiful everything in time. And I got to realize, and we have to come to the conclusion that his kingdom has come, and it will come in its fullness. That Jesus is the only hope of this world is his gospel, his reality, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we pray, Jesus, will you please come? Will your kingdom come? Will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And I, I got you to know, I got, you have to know that the world pushes me to the edge of disbelief. That I want to say, really, Jesus, you can fix this. <laughs> you can fix this world. Look how screwed up it really is. I look in the mirror and say, Jesus, you really can fix this? Really? The gospel The good news of what Christ has done gives us the ability to face what we can't fill and pray, God, thy kingdom come, even in our own hearts. The gospel gives us the joy of godly wisdom that takes away the the sorrow that comes with worldly wisdom. Why? Because the man of sorrows named Jesus came and was broken for us. God has given us a meal. Jesus himself has given us a meal as a tangible reminder that he is the wisdom of God, that Jesus is the one who fixes that which is crooked. He is, he alone is the one who could fix that which is broken. He and he alone is the one who could make everything beautiful in its time. He and he alone has meaning. Everything else is void. And he knows that we have a tendency to forget. And he knows we have a tendency to wander. And so he says, I want you to continue to do this in remembrance of me. Remember, Jesus, the wisdom of God. You see, in him we have found what we are looking for. And we need to look no further. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the depth of love you have for sinners like us. We're the ones who started this mess, but you're the one who's fixed it. And God, what we can't do with worldly wisdom, you did 
through the wisdom of God, through the foolishness of a cross. You did by sending your son to come and to live the life we should have lived and to die the death we deserve to die and be resurrected and conquer sin and death so that everything we do has meaning, so that nothing is vanity. Jesus, you came to make all things new and you came to make all things beautiful in their time. Give us faith and grace to walk in faith and to trust that you will accomplish what you started. The reality is, God, that each of us lives in a life, in a world that we still can't fix, that we still just can't make straight or align or account for what is lost, but you can. So God, I pray that the gospel would work deeper and deeper inside of us. That Father, we would celebrate the gifts you've given us and trust Trust you. Trust you with what is still broken. Thank you for this meal that you've given us to remind us that you're still at work, that you haven't left the building, that you're still in control. And through the brokenness of your son, we have hope. Bless our tithes and offerings and prepare our hearts to meet with you at the table. We pray in Christ's name, amen.